Tonight, North Korea coming to the aid of Russia's war effort. Kim Jong-un now planning a trip to Russia to meet with Vladimir Putin to discuss supplying weapons. The timing of the meeting is unclear, but the New York Times says it could happen this month and would focus specifically on anti-tank missiles and artillery shells. And a new video into out front, the explosion of Russian artillery lighting up a darkened battlefield in the east, the one area where Ukraine says the Russian military is on the offensive. Nick Robertson is out front. As Ukrainian troops inch forward into Russia's defensive lines on the southern front, changes behind them in Kyiv. President Vladimir Zelensky switching defense ministers. Alexei Reznikov out, Rustem Umarov in. A Crimean Tatar with a proven track record on diplomacy. Now in charge of the sharp end of the war. Most pressing for him, consolidate gains in the south, hold off Russians in the east, and energize allies to give more weapons and faster. All as pressure mounts on President Vladimir Putin to rejoin the Black Sea grain deal Umarov helped negotiate. By inviting the Turkish president to grain deal talks in Russia, Vladimir Putin got a big platform to vent his grievances with Ukraine's Western backers. The West, to put it mildly, deceived us about humanitarian goals by the Humanitarian Black Sea Initiative to assist developing countries. But just hours ahead of the meeting, Putin's drones were destroying vital grain stores in Ukraine, as they have done with increased intensity since Russia pulled out of the Black Sea grain deal in July. <laughs> Recep Tayyip Erdogan went to Sochi hoping to convince Putin to accept a new UN grain deal. If he had success, it might be slow coming. I believe we will be able to reach a solution which fulfills the expectations soon. The deal was in fact two deals in parallel, one with Ukraine, one with Russia. Inspectors checked cargoes as grain ships exited the Black Sea and entered Turkish waters. It lasted for a year before Putin unilaterally pulled out. His reasons for exiting the deal apparently rooted in Western sanctions, imposed as a result of his illegal and unprovoked war of choice, potentially now leveraging the grain deal to roll some sanctions back. What we saw is that there was a refusal to renew deliveries of the agricultural spare parts, and also there were problems with them, financial settlements and transaction fees. Erdogan wants to be peacemaker, but in Sochi seemed to scold Ukraine and legitimize Putin. In order to be able to take common steps with Russia, Ukraine needs to soften its approach. Putin rightfully does not approve if 44% of the grain goes to European countries. Now, Putin says he is willing to consider reviving the UN grain deal, but only if he gets what he wants. And according to him, that is a lifting of export restrictions that he claims are being placed on some of Russia's agricultural exports. But also, he's doubling down, if you will, upping the ante, adding the pressure. He is not just standing back and waiting until that UN grain deal is done. He's finding another way to get his grain to market. 
uh, and is working on this with President Erdogan. So adding pressure, doubling down, working on a separate workaround grain deal with the Turkish president. Brianna? Nick Robertson, thank you so much for that. And out front now, Steve Hall, former CIA chief of Russia operations and CNN national security analyst. Uh, Steve, it's not just Erdogan. Putin expected now to meet with Kim Jong-un to negotiate a weapons deal. And the New York Times is saying that Russia wants artillery shells and anti-tank weapons. What does that say to you about Russia's war effort? Yeah, it's, it's really, it's truly amazing, Brent. I mean, if you had asked me a couple of years ago uh, whether or not it was likely that the Russians and their supposedly vaunted military would have to turn to North Korea, of all countries, to help them resupply, to help them with the shortages that they're experiencing in their in their war efforts in Ukraine, I would have said absolutely not. It would be like the United States turning to Uruguay and saying, hey, can you help us out on this war? So it's 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 got to be horrifically embarrassing for the Russian leadership, for the Kremlin. They've got to know how humiliating that feels. Now, the Russian people will be told something different. It'll be spun in some positive way. And beings that most of them get their news from the government, it'll come across quite differently. But it's truly amazing that they've had to turn to North. They can't even get China to help because China understands how badly it would hurt them. So they got to turn to the North Koreans, of all people. It's just amazing. It is very telling. There's a newly surfaced image I want to ask you about. It's on Telegram. It purports to show Russian General Sergei Surovikin. And this would actually be the first sighting of him following the Wagner Rebellion, which some speculated Surovikin had advanced knowledge of here uh, more than two months ago, and Surovikin's ultimate expulsion as head of Russia's Air Force came out of that here very recently. Uh, the Telegram post says that Surovikin is, quote, alive, healthy, at home, with family in Moscow. What does this say to you? Well, I would say the jury's still out. I mean, uh, there's a lot of different ways that the Russians can, you know, do deep fakes and, and make it appear as though Surovikin uh, is still alive. And he may be. We, we simply don't know at this particular point. But if Surovikin is able to survive the debacle of Prigozhin. Remember, we were kind of saying the same thing about Prigozhin initially. Hey, we saw him, you know, wandering around St. Petersburg. He was in Moscow. And then all of a sudden, the inevitable happened. So whether or not that's going to happen to Surovikin or not, we'll see. He's currently certainly had to pay a price. There was the, uh, you know, the, the arrest and the, and the house arrest uh, information that we had about him. We'll see if he's actually out of the woods yet. I'm not sure. Uh, is your tracking President Zelensky firing his defense minister? He, he's uh, citing the need for, quote, new approaches to the war. And this is something that has come amid a number of corruption scandals at the defense ministry. What's really happening here? Because Russian state media has claimed that this is a sign of Ukraine's failure on the battlefield. Steve, what are you seeing? Yeah, it's not surprising that the Russians would couch it this way, Brianna, because, of course, they're looking for anything that they can get to stick to the wall in terms of propaganda. Now, in, on the on the Ukrainian side, Ukraine has long had a problem with corruption. As a matter of fact, that was one of the motivating factors behind the Maidan uh, revolution that threw out the, the Moscow-leaning uh, politicians, or at least presidents. Uh, but even since then, the, the Ukrainians have had a problem with uh, with corruption. They understand that they have a problem, and it's critically important that they do something about it because they understand that they're getting all of this support from the West, which takes corruption very seriously. So I think, you know, this is a difficult position for the Ukrainian president to be in. He's got to do something about it. I think he's doing the right thing. He didn't say, for example, I'm fighting a war. I don't have time to deal with corruption. He understands he needs to take it seriously, and he's doing so. 
Steve, thank you so much. We appreciate your time tonight.